Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who's striving to play advanced level works one day, specifically Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week, we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little more informed and appreciative of classical music. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to 2023. I've been doing some planning for the year during the break, and if all goes well and according to said plan, I think this just might be the year where we will hear Rhapsody in Blue on this podcast. Just going to set that resolution right here on the first episode of the year in order to hold me accountable. But we still have plenty of music to discuss before we get there. So let's get started with our first series of 2023. This is episode 22.1, the first episode in a series where we are going to explore one of the many piano sonatas by Joseph Haydn. And I know, I know, first episode of the year, I'm already calling an audible. At the end of the previous episode, I said we were heading to Paris to hear some Impressionism, and I promise that's still in the cards for the future. But I also mentioned, back in Series 17, that we'd be hearing from the three titans of the classical era during this season of the podcast. We've already discussed Mozart, so there are still two to go. I thought we should check another one off the list this week, with Haydn. Haydn was born in 1732 in Austria. So for frame of reference, this is about 50 years after Bach and 20 years before Mozart. This places Haydn squarely in the classical period of music, and he could arguably called the father of the area, hence the title of the series. He was one of, if not the, most celebrated and famous composers of his lifetime across Europe. He's often included with Mozart and Beethoven, as the essential triumvirate of the classical period. While he didn't have the same passion and intensity as Mozart did, or the energy and grandeur of Beethoven, Haydn had a special simplistic charm to his music that set him apart. Haydn had close connections with his fellow trio members as well. While Haydn was 20 years Mozart's senior, Haydn openly recognized the genius of his junior peer without jealousy. He writes, If only I could impress Mozart's inimitable works on the soul of every friend of music, as deeply, with the same musical understanding, and with the same deep feeling as I understand and feel them, the nations would vie with each other to possess such a jewel. And we talked about this back in the Mozart episodes, but it's worth repeating. Haydn even went as far to admit to Mozart's father this famous line. Before God and as an honest man, I tell you that your son is the greatest composer known to me either in person or by name. He has taste, and furthermore, the most profound knowledge of composition. This respect was not one-sided, as Mozart also held Haydn's work in high regard. He even dedicated six of his own string quartets to Haydn. Haydn's relationship with Beethoven was even more direct and influential, as young Beethoven was actually one of Haydn's students. 
Unlike Mozart, however, Beethoven and Haydn didn't always have a positive relationship. I'm going to have to blame Beethoven on this one for being, well, Beethoven. Rumor has it that when Beethoven was ready to publish his Opus 1, a set of piano trios, his well-established, famous teacher encouraged Beethoven to include the phrase Pupil of Haydn on the cover to take advantage of his popularity and help launch Beethoven's compositional career. But Beethoven, being the arrogant, tempestuous youth that he was, believed that Haydn was envious of his talent, so he refused. There's an account that suggested Beethoven went as far to say that, although he had some instruction from Haydn, he never learned anything from him. But while there may have been some bad blood between their student-teacher relationship, as compositional peers, there was an air of mutual respect. Haydn often showed open admiration for Beethoven's compositions, and when you fuel a narcissist's ego, he tends to like you in return. During a concert given in honor of Haydn's 76th birthday, it was reported that Beethoven fervently kissed the hands and forehead of his old teacher. In Beethoven's later years, he unfailingly referred to Haydn in terms of reverence, placing him on the same level as Mozart and Bach. Along with composing for keyboard, Haydn wrote an impressive catalog of music for orchestra and string ensembles. He was a busy and prolific composer, writing a whopping 107 symphonies across his lifetime, gifting him the title Father of the Symphony. One of his most well-known symphonies is his 94th one, better known as the Surprise Symphony, which highlights Haydn's sense of humor. During the second movement, Haydn includes a jump scare in the score that was reportedly written to jolt sleeping audience members awake. Wake up! <laughs> Haydn's other major musical contribution was to help develop and popularize the sonata form, which broke away from the Baroque style and established the unique identity of the classical period. The sonata was one of the key touchstones of the classical period, and we're going to talk about it once again today as we discuss our piece of the day. Haydn's Piano Sonata in F Major number 23 in the Hoboken catalog. This sonata was written in 1773 for the Hungarian prince Nicolaus Esterhazy, who was Haydn's biggest patron. You know, Patreon didn't exist back then, so artists had to flatter the royals to pay the bills. This piano sonata contains three movements, so we'll spend three weeks in this series tackling one movement per episode. Like most sonatas during the classical era, the first movement is written in sonata form. While most things with rules certainly have exceptions, the general idea behind sonata form is that the piece is divided into three parts, the exposition, the development, and the recapitulation. During the exposition, 
the composer introduces two subjects in two different keys. During the development, the composer toys around with these subjects until they're barely recognizable. And in the recapitulation, the composer brings everything home by recalling the two original subjects in the main key of the sonata. Luckily for us, Haydn plays by the rules here, and we have a great textbook example of sonata form with the first movement. But first, before we start analyzing anything, we need to set the tonic key. And since expressive titles didn't happen until the Romantic period, we are immediately clued in that this sonata in F major is set in the key of F major. F major, the key of furious, quick-tempered regret. Complacence, controlled calmness over the readiness to explode. Deeply angry, but composed and sociable. We begin sonata form with the exposition, and Haydn wastes no time introducing the first subject in the home key of F major. This is typical Haydn. It's light, lively, almost has a childlike quality to it. Now I mentioned previously that the second theme of an exposition is introduced in a different key than the first, and Haydn follows suit here and introduces the second theme in one of the typical keys we would expect, the dominant key. The dominant in music refers to the fifth tone of the scale. So if we started in F major, that would take us to F, G, A, B, C major. So here is the second theme of the movement in C major. This subject really gets things moving, with a stream of 30-second notes in the right hand and light left-handed accompaniment. This provides rhythmic contrast to the first subject. It was standard during the classical period to repeat the exposition a second time in order to cement these themes into the audience's head before moving on to the development. But that was before the invention of a repeat button, so I just don't find it necessary in the modern age. I don't think Haydn had the concept of a recording device in his mind when he was busy making up sonata form. Now after we've established our two themes, we move on to the development, which is basically the composer's playground. For example, Haydn starts off the development by taking the first subject and transposing it into the dominant C major. But the changes can be even more dramatic. Listen to how Haydn kind of blows up the second subject here. It 
It's still the same running 32nd notes in a similar harmonic progression, but they're all running in a series of downward groups. The key modulates about eight or nine times throughout this section, so it'd be a slog to document all of them. But you'll know that the development is coming to an end when we arrive in the familiar sonic territory of F major. This signals the start of the recapitulation, where we have an exact repeat of the first subject in its original key. And since we're winding down the movement, we want to keep the sense of home intact. So instead of recalling the second subject in the dominant key of C major, this time around, Haydn changes it to F major. And to give a sense of closure, he includes a short coda to cap off the movement in a final F major chord. This is the complete first movement of Haydn's Sonata in F major, number 23 from the Hoboken Catalog.
Well, I hope 2023 has been treating you well so far. I'm looking forward to what the year has in store. Next week, we'll continue our talk with Haydn Sonata and take a look at the more expressive Adagio movement. You can find the standalone recording of the piece we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all the tracks heard on this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or reviewing. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode, and it helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thanks, as always, for your time and your ears. And remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.